Our scripture reading is from John chapter 7. We will work through the whole passage, but uh, we will read verses 37 to 44. Please stand for the reading of scripture. John chapter 7, beginning with verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, again we come before you and we seek your face. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your son. We're thankful that your spirit inspired your word and that your word testifies of your son. And so we pray that we would see and hear our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would meet with him, that he would meet with us, and that he would tell each one of us exactly what we need to hear in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. This is the Christ. Chapter 7 is, in many respects, the central passage of the Gospel of John. You remember near the end, in chapter 20 and verse 31, that John says, he wrote this so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him you may have life in his name. To have eternal life, we must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And John wrote all of this so that we would believe it, that we would believe in him and thus have life in his name. Now John chapter 7 is a discussion among the Jews at the temple in Jerusalem about the identity of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Now look at verse 40 again. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? This is the Christ. In this passage, there is a lot of speculation, a lot of disagreement, a lot of discussion about Jesus. Some believe in him. Most don't. Some think 
he is a good man. Some want to kill him. Some think he's demon-possessed. Some think he is an imposter. And some believe that he is the Christ. As we work through this passage, we will be faced with the issue of who Jesus is, the Christ. And we will be faced with the question, do we believe in him? Now let's look at it. First, in this passage, you see outright rejection of Jesus. Outright rejection of Jesus. Look at verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. That's the supreme hostility toward Jesus. The Jews were seeking to kill him. We'll see why in a bit. But Jesus drew the wrath of the Jews. But there's more rejection of Jesus in this passage. Look at verse 5. For not even his brothers believed in him. His own brothers did not believe. This would have been the subsequent children of Mary and Joseph, Jesus' half-brothers. They had told Jesus to go up to Jerusalem to the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. There would be a great crowd there and Jesus should show them the miracles he could do. John says they told him this because they did not believe in him. Like many of the crowds, they were impressed with his miracles. But they failed to grasp who he was. They didn't seem to understand the danger going to Jerusalem would put him in. So Jesus says, Verse 6, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. He's not talking about his time to die, but his time to go to the feast. His brothers can go on up at any time, but he cannot. But you see, his own family does not understand who Jesus is, and they don't believe. So he's seen that Jews want to kill him, his own Family does not believe in him. And then there's a third indication of rejection of Jesus in verse 7. Look at it. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. The world hates Jesus because he exposes the world's evil. Now John reports this because it was true. Jesus face this kind of opposition constantly. Not only the blatant hostility of the world, but even a softer form of rejection. But rejection nonetheless at home. He faces constant opposition because the entire world is set against Jesus. John also reports this because the reader whom he is trying to persuade to believe and follow Jesus, will face similar opposition. Maybe government persecution. Maybe not. 
maybe cultural hostility, or maybe resistance at home, maybe family, maybe even a spouse who doesn't really support you or understand. John wants you to know that your Savior has walked that path himself. You see, outright rejection of Jesus. Secondly, you see repressed interest in Jesus. Repressed interest in Jesus. Look at verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he's a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Everybody is talking about Jesus. But you see, they're muttering. Verse 12. Or whispering under their breath. Why? Look at verse 13. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. They're afraid. There's tremendous cultural intimidation not to believe in Jesus. Don't even mention his name. Then Jesus goes to the feast. About halfway through the feast, it's safer. Less chance the Jews can take him by stealth once the whole crowd is assembled in Jerusalem. So he goes in the temple begins to teach openly and publicly. And look at verse 15. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? This doesn't mean Jesus never studied the Bible. He studied it hard. His human mind had to take in information, had to grow and develop the same as anyone else, but he did not study under the eminent rabbis. He didn't go to the premier schools. He didn't have the right educational credentials. How can a man who didn't get a proper education know so much? But you see, they can't help but wonder about Jesus. Even though they're afraid of the authorities. They can't help but wonder about Jesus. There's an irresistible magnetism about Jesus Christ. For 2,000 years, the world has hated him. Governments have outlawed his name. Cultures and societies have attacked him and his followers. Families have shunned their own who committed themselves to him. But still, people, Cannot stop talking about Jesus. Look at verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can this be the, can it be the authorities really know this is a Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when a Christ appears, no one will know. When he comes from Jesus, he's very conspicuous. But the authorities, they don't want to, take him in an obvious way. So the, the crowds begin to speculate. They, they want to kill him, but, but here he is. And they're not taking him. Why not? Do they know something we don't? Maybe they know 
He is the Christ. But we don't understand it because we thought Christ was going to come from Bethlehem. As far as we know, Jesus from Nazareth way up in Galilee. We didn't know how his family had fled to Egypt and then relocated back to Galilee later on. But look at verse 31. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Many of the common people are beginning to believe. They believe that only the Christ could do the miracles Jesus was doing. But then look at verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. You see, the people at least want to talk about who Jesus is. Many are believing. Not all do. There's argumentation. But there is intense pressure to keep quiet. Cultural repression. Government pressure. The Jewish council, so much pressure that people are uncomfortable even discussing Jesus openly. But they are. Their interest is repressed, but it cannot totally be squelched. You see repressed interest in Jesus. Outright rejection of Jesus, repressed interest in Jesus. Thirdly, you see the righteous judgment of Jesus. Look at verse 16. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. The people there, they're speculating about how this uneducated carpenter's son from Nazareth Knows so much. In verse 16, it says Jesus answered them. They hadn't been talking to Jesus. They hadn't asked him a question. But he knows what they're muttering about. He knows what is in man. So he tells them about his learning, how he comes to speak like this. He says, it is the message of him who sent me. Now look at verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. If anyone is truly obedient to the will of God, he can tell if I'm really speaking the true words of God or not. Leon Morris said, Jesus' hearers had raised the question of his competence as a teacher. He raises the question of their competence as hearers. I'll repeat that. Jesus' hearers had raised the question of his competence as a teacher. He raises the question of their competence as hearers. You see, this crowd is making judgments about Jesus. Is he the Christ? Is he not? But Jesus is making judgments about them. If you begin to evaluate Jesus Christ, who he is, who he claims to be, you will discover that when you evaluate him, he is evaluating. Now look at verse 19. Has not Moses given you the law? 
yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Jesus evaluates and he passes judgment on the crowd. They have failed to keep the law. Some are even plotting murder. Then the crowd says, he's demon. They say he's demon possessed. You have a demon. Who's trying to kill you? Now look at verse 21. Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's body well, whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now Jesus here is talking about the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda in chapter 5. Remember, he healed him on the Sabbath day. They were ready to kill Jesus because he'd healed the man on the Sabbath day. That's why there were people in the crowd that day that wanted to kill him. But Jesus says to them, you don't know the law. The law says that to circumcise the boys on the eighth day. Now if the eighth day should happen to fall on the Sabbath day, then you circumcise him on the Sabbath. The Sabbath never meant you cannot do anything on the day. And if you can circumcise a baby boy, you can heal a man on the Sabbath. You see, they want to kill a man for breaking a law he'd never broken. And in their desire to kill him, they are breaking the very same law. Now look at what Jesus says when the chief priests and Pharisees send the officers to arrest him. Look at verse 33. Jesus then said, I'll be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Now if you read on, you'll find the Jews have no idea what Jesus is talking about, but he, he's telling them the day is coming. I'm going back to my father. And when I'm gone, you will seek me and you will not be able to find me. You're running out of time. You're running out of time to seek me. You're running out of time to come to me. One day, he says, you will seek me, and then you will not find me. You know, there's a deadline on coming to Jesus. Seek the Lord while he may be found, because one day you won't be able to find him. Call upon him while he is near because one day he will no longer be near. And there will be nothing but judgment. See, the outright rejection of Jesus, repressed interest in Jesus, the righteous judgment of Jesus. Fourthly, you see the gift of Jesus. Look at verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This was the last day of the feast. Now it's important to consider the setting of this passage. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, the annual feast, where the Jews commemorated that God had led them through the wilderness under Moses and they had lived in tents or tabernacles. And at the feast, people would flock to Jerusalem and they would make temporary tabernacles or booths and they would stay in them for the week of the holiday. Part of the festivities at the feast included a water ceremony. The high priest would lead a procession down the pool at Siloam and fill a golden pitcher with water and then it would all march back to the temple and pour out the water in bowls before the altar and offer it to the Lord. Now this ceremony had to do with the fact that during their time in the wilderness the Lord had provided water for the people. You remember Moses struck the rock, people were thirsty, Moses struck the rock and water came out. The Lord provided it for the people. Then years later, the Lord told Moses not to strike the rock but to speak to the rock, but Moses struck it in anger and frustration. But again, the Lord provided water from the rock. And every year, as the Jews did this, they remembered that God had provided water. And they sought his provision of water, of rain for another year. And it's then that Jesus says, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's the same thing he promised the woman at the well in chapter 4. Living water. And verse 39 explains he's talking about the Holy Spirit whom he will give once he's glorified. Now this passage is about the identity of Jesus, specifically that he is the Christ. Why is the climactic part of this chapter Jesus promised to provide living water, the Holy Spirit? Genesis 2.10 describes the Garden of Eden. It says, A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. That's what it was like in the perfect, happy presence of God. But then man sinned and was banished from the presence of God in the garden. But then Psalm 46 in verse 4 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Then Revelation 22.1 gives us a picture of heaven. It says, The angel showed me the river, the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. In the presence of God, there are always rivers. From Genesis, from the Garden of Eden to Revelation, the new heavens and the new earth. There's always plenty of water, rivers, giving life in the presence of God. 
The Holy Spirit is here in John chapter 7 described as rivers of living water. You get to picture Jesus as painting. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God in and among his people. To have the Holy Spirit is to have the presence of God. To have the Holy Spirit is to be restored into the presence of God where there flows a river whose streams make glad his city. that happy presence of God from which our sin has banished us. This is what the Christ, this is what the Messiah does. He takes us back into the presence of God where there is a river, the water of life. And that begins when the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son brings the very life presence of God into our souls that's what the Messiah does for his people that's the gift of Jesus see outright rejection of Jesus repressed interest in Jesus the righteous judgment of Jesus the gift of Jesus fifthly you see the hour of Jesus look at verse 30 so they were seeking to arrest him but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come There's a bit of unresolved tension in this passage. They keep wanting to arrest Jesus. They even want to kill him, but they don't do it. Verse 30 told us why his hour had not yet come. It was not his time. But his hour, it was coming. His hour. His death casts a long shadow back into John chapter 7. Now look at verse 39 again. The end of it. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. For us to receive the Holy Spirit Living waters return to the presence of God. The hour first had to come for Jesus to be glorified. If he does not die and rise again, we don't get rivers of living water. It's our sin that shuts us out of the presence of God. And only his death as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world can remove the sin that keeps us cut off from the life of God. His hour must come. You see, outright rejection of Jesus, repressed interest in Jesus, the righteous judgment of Jesus, the gift of Jesus, the hour of Jesus. And finally, you see division over Jesus. Look at verse 43. So there was a division among the people over him. The people were divided over Jesus. Some believed, some did not. You know, there's a qualification 
forgetting the rivers of living water. Jesus says, if any man thirst, you have to be thirsty. You have to feel your need. You have to come under the conviction that when Jesus said, did not Moses give you the law and none of you has kept it, he's talking about you. thirsty today? Do you feel your need? At the very end, the Jewish leaders who want to kill Jesus are discussing what's happening and Nicodemus pops back up. You remember Nicodemus, the ruler that came to Jesus by night? Look at verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what it does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arrives from Galilee. Nicodemus, he comes back up at the end. He will come back up again when Jesus has died at the end of John. But but now here, he, he doesn't seem here in John 7 to do much, but he does at least try to get this council of chief priests and Pharisees who want to kill Jesus. He tries to get them to cool off, calm down. But Nicodemus seems gradually to be coming to faith. It becomes clearer at the end. But why does John bring up Nicodemus here? You know, Jesus' own family had not believed in him. The authorities wanted to kill him. And John knows that the person reading this may feel that same kind of pressure. Pressure not to follow Jesus. People think I'm weird. It may cost me my friends. It may cost me my family. It may cost me social status. It may hurt my business. And in showing us Nicodemus, John is hinting to us. There may be tremendous pressure on you not to believe in Jesus. You may feel you are in the worst possible position for coming to Jesus. But remember, Nicodemus, in the heart of the conspiracy of the rulers to do Jesus in, there is a man being irresistibly drawn to faith in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, if you're thirsty, let nothing stand in your way. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.